Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. My goodness, it's so good to have each and every one of you here this morning. Um, I don't know if you are uh, your first time. If so, it is so good to have you. Um, my name is Greg McKinney, for those of you who are new, and uh, I'm the lead pastor here at Glory Church. My wife and I headed up together, and we are uh, we're honored to have you. Some of you are here to celebrate a friend who is getting baptized, and if that is you, uh, I'm excited. All right, we're going to get a little cold. Um, those of you who would like, we do have a tent. We will have a tent out there for those of you who want to huddle under it to keep warm and, and dry. Uh, but for everyone else, we did fill up the tub with hot water and put over a, a, a whole liner to hopefully keep in the heat. All right. So I can't promise you much, but it hopefully will be warm. Uh, if not, you know, just try to get in the front of the line, those of you who are getting baptized. We have five this morning, five this morning who are getting baptized today, and I'm really excited. Yes. But as we get into this today, I just have something to let you know that God knows something woven deep into the heart of humans uh, because of the fallen world, because of how we have just uh, messed things up over time. He knows something deep about each and every one of us, you and me alike. He knows that at the end of the day, we have a very natural instinct, a very natural instinct to trust the physical world over anything else. Like the, our God, the father of all uh, fathers, the king of all kings, he knows this about humanity, that because of the fall, we have this instinct, this natural inclination to trust whatever we can see, touch, feel, hear, smell above anything else. I mean, to think about it, it makes a little bit of sense. As we get into today, one thing you're going to realize is this natural instinct, this natural inclination will always always hurt our ability to, in faith, follow Christ, to trust the physical over anything else. And it, I mean, make, it makes sense that we do so. I mean, it's in the physical world that we eat good food. Some of you have, you have some favorite foods. It's in the physical world that the food is there, and that's how you feed yourself. It's in the physical world that you either are protected at home or endangered, right? It's in the physical world that scary animals like lions are. It's in the physical world that we touch, we, we hug, we see. But God never created us to only see the physical. In fact, it's very powerful. God designed you guys to do more. He designed us to see more, to be more, to feel more, and to know more. I mean, literally in the garden and as we get into this, we got to understand this. God designed humanity to see him in all things. Like I look at Adam and Eve and I get so jealous because like literally they walked with God. They saw him, his fingerprint on all things. Like it wasn't just the physical world to them. The spiritual God was one with them and they walked around. Like it was, it's beautiful. God called them then to be the bridge in between the physical world and the spiritual world. Like to literally, he told them in perfection to cultivate it. Like how do you cultivate that which is already good? <laughs> but they, we were called to as humanity to make it even better. But then the fall happened and instantly they realized they were naked, right? 
They have a very natural instinct all of a sudden to trust the physical over the spiritual and God was not seen anymore. They were. It's this powerful thing that we overlook, but literally God designed us from nothing to be people who model, who mirror, who connect with the spiritual world. Did you know in Romans, like it says that the rocks, they groan, the creation groans for the sons and daughters to be on display, to be, to be seen in all glory, because the whole earth is waiting for us to cultivate it. It's to do what we were designed to do. But the fall happened, and instantly I trust in what my hands can produce more than what my God can produce, right? We do this all the time. We trust in what we can physically see or hear or the, or the job that is now not there because we got fired or the people who are not there because they betrayed us. We trust and see the physical above all else. We are starting a series this morning and I'm really excited about it because though time and time again, humanity can see God, without God, the physical is their foundation. And we can all be honest about how rocky that is. <laughs> the physical is not a very good foundation because uh, we die. Dust blows. Sand is taken away. And so God knew that his children were inclined. And so he set something up. We're starting a new series this morning called Kingdoms and Castles. And I'm really excited to lean in on it because all of us are building something. All of us build things. And this whole series is about how do we build for something that's eternal. Invest in things that eternal. We all build stuff. I mean, we often ask, I mean, I hope I'm not the only one who does this, but I often feel, am I doing anything of value? Anyone else feel it me? I often feel like, am I doing anything worth it? We have this deep hunger to build something of value. I think God put it in us because we, we long to cultivate, right? That was our God-given thing, our God-given task. And we ask, I mean, I wrote this down. Does anyone ever feel like you, it doesn't seem like this is worth it? Or God, I want to do something that's worth it. Or is this really going to work out in a good way? We, we're all there. We want to build something. And the reason why is because he has called you to be a part of a kingdom and castle. But in our physical world, we think constantly it's something I have to build. In our physical world, it's all like, okay, what physical kingdom can I build for my family? What physical castle can I show for my worth? And the enemy is like, I want them to stay there. But we, as people of God, cannot be inclined and instinctive, instinctually push after the physical. We have to realize that God is present. Oh, you can have my heart. If you want my heart, you got it. You want my heart, you got it. You know the hole where your, your treasure is, there your heart is also? If your treasure is in the physical, that your heart will be also. No, if you want my heart, God, you got it. You got it. It's interesting. The reason is God has called us to be able to see him. To his disciples, Jesus says, uh, he says, those who follow my lead, my instruction, those who deem me as Lord, those who follow me will build their house. You know this passage, right? They will build their house on the rock, right? Those who follow me, who do my instruction, who obey my words will build their house on the rock. But everyone else, it'll be like on the sand. You have a sand castle or you have, we're working with the kingdom castles. 
You see this, the one imagery is of someone who's completely dependent on the Lord and his word, where they're like, I'm following you after love, this, this honor, this privilege to do so. And the other, the other is uh, self-reliant. I'm working with what I got. Like a little kid working on the sand and it's so temporary, right? Quick fixes. Let me pack it in. You're not even realizing that seasonal changes are going to take place. The tide's going to come in. It's going to completely demolish everything you've worked hard on. We often operate with seasonal blessings instead of the kingdom ones. And we just overlook the goodness of God. But God knows that as humans, we were inclined to see the physical above the spiritual. So years ago, literally years ago, we're getting into Leviticus today. We're getting into Leviticus. Years ago, God looked at his Israel, his people, and knew, I want them to see me. But all they see is the physical. So I have a decree. I have a promise. I have something that I want them to do in their life that will set them up to see me in all things. And that's what we're talking about this morning. God made an ordinance, a lasting one. To get us in the mindset to see him. Because I don't know about you, I long to see God in all things. Do you? Like, I, I do. And I think genuinely humanity does in general. That's why someone who is far from God can go through a death and ask the questions like, why? How? What do I do now? Because we want to know. And that some reason in a hardship, we feel like someone else knows the answer. I want to see why did this happen? What is going on? But more than that, like, I want to see God in my home where I'm like, I, that this is worth it. My wife is a stay-at-home mom and has been for years. She has had to realize, like, is what I do worth it? Clean this house and then it gets messy in 10 minutes. Do these dishes and then they get dirty in three minutes. Like, is what I do worth it? I want to see God in things, right? We want to. And this is why, how God made it possible. All right, he gives this decree, and I will do a little spoiler. The command that God gave them is to offer up first fruits. First fruits. So we put that already on your mind. You're like, oh, what? Pastor's talking about first fruits? Yes. If you want to talk about the number one way to invest in what God is doing, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. God knew as my people are about to get things of their own. They're going to trust in the things of their own. Unless we set up this decree at the very beginning called first fruits. And so here it is. Leviticus chapter 23. It says, the Lord said to Moses, I need you to speak to the Israelites and say to them, hey, when you enter the land that I'm going to give you and you reap its harvest, bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain you harvest. And then he is to wave the sheaf. I wish I had a sheaf to wave for you, but I don't. But he is to wave the sheaf before the Lord so that it will be accepted on your behalf. And the priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. On the day that you wave the sheaf, you must sacrifice as a burnt offering to the Lord a lamb that is a year old without defect. And together with its grain offering, the two-tenths of an epath of the finest flour mixed with olive oil and a food offering presented to the Lord, a pleasing aroma. And its drink offering of a quarter of a hen of wine. This is a lot, right? You must not eat any bread or roast 
any new grain until the very day you bring the offering to your God, and this would be a lasting ordinance for generations to come wherever you live. Now, that may have sounded confusing or strange or a mouthful. It was. It was a whole lot. But if you know anything about the people of God at this time, it is that they've been traveling out of Egyptian, out of the Egypt territory, and they've now been traveling and hoping, searching for the promised land. So God looks to Moses and says, before you get in there, I need you to know a couple things. You are going to reap what you sow. And for the first time, you nomadic people will have a lot of food. Like, think about it. They have been people who've traveled for far too long, and they're going to get a land, and it's going to be land right flowing with milk and honey. There's going to be all these things that they know, but God knows something about them. When they get providence, pleasure, the first thing they're going to want to do is trust the pleasure, the providence, to bring them satisfaction. I mean, think about it. You have got to the point where you trust your weekly paycheck to provide and pay the bills instead of the God who has given you the job that provides the weekly paycheck to pay for the bills. But God knows this about us that when we get pleasure, when we get blessing, if we aren't prepped for it, we're going to trust in the physical over anything else. And so he's like, I, I got to let you know Give your first. Give your first. And, and it's interesting. They say that not even, don't even eat anything until you do it. Like it's this powerful thing. And if you saw it, it said it should be a lasting ordinance. Did you, did you catch that? There's only a minimal amount of time in the Old Testament where lasting ordinance, this word in the Hebrew right here, it means everlasting, forever, to the end of time. That doesn't just mean Jesus coming like nullifies the, the giving of the first fruit. No, if you know anything, he fulfilled the law, which means now in a most beautiful way, we can do it, not out of obligation, but out of honor, out of privilege. And so it's this beautiful thing, but a lasting ordinance nonetheless. And I will tell you, no matter the time, we should do it. You want to know why? If you're taking notes, write this down. Giving is the greatest avenue of seeing God. So we said we went along, we long to see God. Did you know that generosity is the greatest avenue to see God? Many of you think it's worship. What are you doing in actual true worship? You are giving of yourself. If you claim to worship, but you're not sacrificing, that's just chanting something, right? That's just a, that's just a ritual. That's just that's spoken words with nothing, void of heart. But true worship is this offering, giving, sacrifice, giving, generosity is the greatest avenue towards seeing God. You doubt me? Think very practically. Think like a farmer. The Israelite man finally has land for his family. And I have to give you the first of it? If you know anything about, about planting, it, there, it's a whole season that, of it coming. The harvest isn't just one and done. It's you get the first fruit with the hope that you get second and third and fourth. I mean, and so God is literally asking them, whatever your crop produces first, I want. Now put yourself in the position of them. Why the first, God? Why not the second after I store up everything I need for my family? Why not the, like the last and I'll give you all of it, right? Like everything that I don't need, no. He wants the first because there's something about an Israelite man handing over everything that he worked to produce 
to a God that he's choosing to believe produces more. And when I believe that he produces more, I'm now looking for him to do that. Giving is the greatest avenue of seeing God. This Israelite man who is saying, I don't know if there's going to be a second. I mean, this literally could be my crop. Pests, like the heat of the sun, a storm could come, rain could literally fall and drown out everything. This could be it. But I'm going to do it. Because I'm going to realize that God has brought me through and he will continue to do so. He wants my first I wrote this down in Israel, giving their first with the unknown reality of if a second, third, fourth, fifth, you know, all of that were to come. What it did is it taught and retaught the people to trust in someone greater. And I think this is something we don't do. We don't teach our children how to trust in someone greater. Why? Because we always say we can't do that because of money. How many times have y'all taught your children, like, I can't do that because we don't have enough money? Instead of like, allowing God to be reasons, you know, like we, we can't do, we're just not there yet. We, we put like our life in this fundamental, like uh, timeline of events based off of our value or the things we've accomplished. And we trust in that. How about we trust in someone greater? No, we're going to give everything we have right now because we're going to provide, we're going to believe that God will provide for us. So everything that you just worked to take off those, those crops, we're going to take him to the priest because he needs to do some waving, right? We got to trust in someone greater. I wrote this down that giving literally reminds me that God has the authority and the power to both show up in a moment and sustain me through it. He has the authority and the power to show up when I'm hungry and sustain me through it. He has the authority and the power to show up in my trial and sustain me through it. And so giving is that because if I don't have to give and I store up, why does he need to show up? Did you hear like, if I store up, there's no reason for him to show up in my mind. And so as we give, we profess, I believe that he has authority and the power to do something way greater than any of my storing can do, right? If you know, why store up treasures in earth where, where, where moths and vermin can get in and pests and destroy? No, let's store up our treasures in heaven. Generosity, giving, I'm trusting in the Lord, and all of this is done through one principle. But he talks about it again in Deuteronomy, and I gotta read this one because this is really powerful because now that they're getting closer to the promised land, we get a little bit more verbiage attached to this. Did you know there was a literal script attached to generosity for the people of God to do? Like a script that they had to speak verbatim. And it's really funny, it is strange, it is a little monotonous, like it feels like why are we doing this? But it's beautiful. There's a script commanded to them when you bring your sheaf This is what you need to say. And so this is what it says in Deuteronomy 26. The Lord says, when you have entered the land that your Lord God is giving you, I'm prepping you for this, he's telling them, as an inheritance, and you have taken possession of it, and when you've settled in it, I need you to take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil, of the land, just so you know, the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and put them in a basket, And you're like, okay, this sounds familiar, but it continues. Then go to the place the Lord your God will choose for for a dwelling for his name. And say to the priests at the time, I declare today... 
to the Lord my God, our God, that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. And it says, the priest will take the basket from your hands and he will set it down in front of the altar and then you will decree this. This is the script that the Hebrews were told to say. My father was a wandering Armenian. And you're like, what? And he continues, my father was a wandering Armenian, Aramean. And he went down into Egypt with a few people. You're like, this is a strange script. Let's keep going. This is what you need to say, though, when you bring it. And he went down into Egypt with a few people, and they lived there, and they became a great nation, a powerful and numerous one. Some of you know this story. But the Egyptians, they mistreated us, and they made us become suffering, subjecting us to harsh labor. And so we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with great terror and with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and he gave us this land, a land that is flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of soil to you, Lord, that you have given me. End it in the script. And I'll place that basket before the Lord, your God, and bow down before him. And then... You and the Levites and the foreigners that are residing among you, they will rejoice in all the good things that God has given to you and your household. It's very beautiful, the work of their hands. Now, now that was a long script. Let me make it practical. When the work of their hands is practically given into God's hands and they start proclaiming all the work of his hands, they start seeing his hands now. Does this make sense? Like when I give you, God, the work of my hands and I start reminding my heart of all the work of your hands, I will now be open to seeing how those hands are working now. In fact, my script would be a little different. It would be like, hey, God, my life was hopeless. I thought it was good. I actually achieved and stored up a whole lot and I was, I was pretty good at doing it. And I was, I was wonderful at it, but then my thoughts were mistreating me. Everyone feel, anyone feel like that? My hopelessness got a little too naggy. My pain got a little too loud. And so I started mistreating out of my mistreat. And in my brokenness, I felt even more enslaved. And so God, then you found me and you brought me. Let's silence our phones. <laughs> and you found me and you brought me. And you brought me out of that place and into a place where people like blessed me more than I deserved. And there was a home that was flowing with milk and honey, right? This would be mine. Like, and I, I found love and grace. People spoke my name over my, instead of my sins and you healed me. And so everything I have right now, God, I give to you, right? That would be my script. This recounting of all he has done all his hand has been, all he has spoken, and now I present it. This is the script that we were had, and though they saw the grain they were offering, they attached it to all the ways that he has provided in the past. And it set them up for hope now. It set them up very powerfully on this day. The priests, the Levites, 
They were blessed. You see, all the blessing that the, the men of God did by handing in their grain offering, it was more than just for their purpose. In fact, the story says that they are supposed to this ordinance, I give my grain to you. And did you know that the priests, they were not legally allowed to have land of their own, so they couldn't provide grain. They were not allowed. So literally the priest, the Levite, was fed by the people's first fruit. But not only that, Israel was known as being the most hospitable of people because anytime people were in need or foreigners came, there was a storehouse of grain that people gave to provide. Now, I, I wrote this down because this is just a little aside. Giving may allow me to see the hand of God. Like giving may allow me to see the hand of God. But listen to this. It also allows me to be the hand of God. And this is the most beautiful thing. If you know my story, my, my mom passed away when I was a senior in high school, and I experienced what the church was supposed to be because I had people give generously to my family. We had bills that were taken care of. We had a whole Christmas uh, under a tree that was bought and purchased by people, my, my mom and dad's small group. We had, I saw generosity. Our church backed us up. Because giving allows not only for me to see the hand of God, but for me to be the hand of God. And so Israel, when they gave their first fruits, they had the ability, anytime someone was in need, to go to that storehouse. Did you know that there have been countless glory family members that we have been able to go to the storehouse, the storage from, from y'all's crops and provide? More than they could imagine, there has been missed bills that we've been able to pay because of you guys. There's been uh, groceries when the pandemic hit that we were able to provide because of you, people of our family, as well as foreigners, people who are outside of the Glory Church family. We've been able to bless because giving allows us to see God, but to be the hands as well. Now, is giving salvific in nature? No. Please let me, it's not. But is it faith building? Yes. Is it vision building? Yes. Is it the way that we can visibly see and know who God is and what he's doing right now? Yes. It's not salvific, but is it transformative? Yes. I mean, Jesus himself would say uh, in Luke, he says this, that whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. And though this idea makes sense in a, in a money sense, like if someone's dishonest with five bucks, don't give them 50, right? Like, don't. It doesn't, if a child is dishonest with a little thing, little task, don't give them a bigger one, all right? Let's, let's get them to that. But what Jesus is doing right here is distinguishing between the physical world and the spiritual world. So let me make sense of this, because the words he uses in this whole passage are powerful. Maybe this will change the way you even see this. He literally says, whoever can be trusted with the very little. In the context of this, he's talking about anything of the world, the world's wealth, the world's riches, worldly power, the things in this world that are very little in the kingdom of God's view. The people who are dishonest with the worldly authority will be dishonest with the very much, the kingdom authority. But the people who are honest with the worldly authority, worldly riches, worldly blessings, they will be so honest with the kingdom blessings, the, the power, the authority, the wealth, the grace, the mercy of the kingdom of God. 
And so very practically, I wrote this down. I am dishonest with my blessings as a pastor. Are you ready? When I misrepresent or forget to praise the one who gave them to me. I become dishonest with the very little. I become dishonest with them when I hold tightly to them as if they're mine to give people or mine to keep or mine. I become dishonest with my harvest when I doubt God's sufficiency to care for me, for my needs, my desires. Do you want to know something very humbling this morning? As we wrap up this idea, it's how you handle your harvest, how we handle our harvest, it will determine what or who we really rely on. And you got to realize in our day and age, like harvest sort of comes quickly. How you handle anything, any blessing, any paycheck, any uh, value, anything of value in your life, how you handle it will determine what you really rely on, how we handle our money, our resources. The one who is faithful with worldly things will be faithful with those earth-shattering, reality-changing, those life-altering things. Now I'll tell you, we've been talking as a staff meeting for a while. I want to, um, I want to be spiritually present as a church. We've been talking to our staff a lot about how do, we, how do we show up in the spiritual with people? How do we be more spirit-driven as a church, aware of what God is doing, see him in it? And we've been talking about this a lot. Can I just tell you, if we trust the physical, we will never be inclined to hear the voice of the Lord in the spiritual. And so it's this, if we are dishonest with the little, but I want to be a church where healings take place, right? I want to be a church where, where strongholds are dem demolished. I want to be a church where salvations happen in homes because of the hope that flows out. And it's not this, I need to pick me up on a Sunday. No, I need to celebrate because God has been holding me all week. You see, I want us to be in tune with what God is doing here, but it takes more than just a few being in tune. It takes you guys noticing, hey, the spirit of the Lord is really, really over here. In a sense, he just wants someone over there to know that they, love, that they are loved and cherished. And so you go out of your way to talk to someone at the end of the day saying, hey, I want you to know that you are loved and cherished. That is how we start doing reality shaping things. But you are going to be blind of it if we, don't, if we don't trust him with our first fruits. It literally starts there. Israel giving it up. I need you to know it's scary. But I wrote this down the last slide for you. It is that in, in giving, we literally are able to release any hold, any hold that our enemy has and is longing to hold and create between us and our wealth. In giving, this is why we can see God. Because it literally demolishes any hold. And so as we work in this, as we end this morning, Ben, you guys can come on up. As we close this morning, I actually just want to set up a time of offering. And that may sound weird to do it right here, but for some of you, it has nothing to do with money. Because you have been so closed when God has asked you to do anything. And you think speaking things is worship. Giving is worship. And so there's, there's this moment in scripture when, when Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. 
is this beautiful moment when we can find rest and hope in him. But then there's this action step, follow. Those who obey my words will be built on a house on a rock. And so this morning as we close, I just wanna all take an atmosphere of offering. Maybe it looks like you literally while we pray having your hands open like this. For some of you, we're gonna very practically pass a bucket. And maybe it looks like for the first time you invest in something more. Some of you, you trust, you check your bank account way more then you even engage in a conversation with the Lord. Like, let's be honest. Some of you, you're striving to have that home that you've been hoping for for a long time. You've been looking on Trulia, right? Some of you, you've been on Zillow for, for hours. And you're like, God, get me this. And he's like, you won't even honor me with a little. You won't even honor me with a little. And yet you think that's big. No, I've created you to be a home and you have neglected it. Does this make sense? If you are dishonest with the little, you'll be dishonest with the great. So what would your script be right now? Obviously not, my father was an Armenian, and he came into Egypt, <laughs> and they did really good there. What would your script be? God, this is my story. This is how I was doing it. This is where it got me. These are my pains. This is what you brought me out of. You've given me all that I have now. So this is literally nothing in comparison to you. That's how we give. So God in this place, I encourage you, Glory family, you can have your hands open. God in this place, we offer. I want a heart that is longing, Jesus. Longing to see you. God, I, I promise to handle the very little in the light of your glory. Jesus, forgive us for every time we've had a dishonest gain. Every time we've, we've struggled with sand, trying to build something up really quickly, only to find that the water comes and demolishes it. Forgive us for every time that we've tried to climb that ladder or get that home or get that thing and forgot you. And forgot you. We wonder why we don't see you in our home. Goodness, it's probably Jesus because we're, we're investing in the physical look of it instead of the spiritual state of it. I wonder at times why I don't see you when I look in the mirror and it's because I probably spend way too much time investing in the physical look of it instead of the physical and spiritual state of it. God, we ask, why can't we see you at work? It's probably because we're investing in the physical nature of it instead of the spiritual state of it. So God, shape us, change our perspective. your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.